Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Klopp's fuming, but Wolves are blooming. City found their scoring touch, United took us back to the 90s, and who will finish higher this season? Lampard's Thoroughbred or Mourinho's Little Pony? I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined this week by Alex Mott. Hello. So it's just the two of us this week. <laughs> just the two of us. <laughs> and we're not even in the same country, because you've gone back to back to Blighty for Christmas. I have, yeah. Back early, and currently halfway through my self-isolation. So, what a better way to spend the time and do a podcast with you? Indeed, indeed. I was thinking with all the uh, VAR controversy this weekend. Imagine if there'd been VAR at the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. Oh, there was um, on BT Sport this weekend. Peter Crouch and Joe Cole did a thing before the Brighton Liverpool game, going through the uh, through both Maradona goals. And uh, yeah, I think even the second one probably would have been chalked off as well. To be honest, why? So, what for? Uh, I can't remember what they said now. Oh, you've really put me on the spot there. But yeah, it was uh, it was good. You should check it out. If, oh, well, uh, yeah. anyone got on Twitter, yeah, yeah, it was a good little face. Diego Varadona. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's crack on because we've got eight games to get through today and we'll start at the Amex where Jurgen Klopp was left fuming after VAR and the hectic fixture schedule contrived to make Liverpool draw 1-1 with Brighton in Saturday's early kickoff. I want to start this one by quoting a tweet from former Stoke striker John Walters who said, I'm not a massive fan of VAR but when people are more than happy to take every VAR decision that goes their way in complete silence but moan the moment it goes against them, it weakens their argument. Hypocrisy. I wonder who he's talking about there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let, let's start with that VAR decision to disallow a brilliant Mohamed Salah goal for offside. Jordan Henderson and James Miller both came out after the game and basically said VAR needs to be scrapped. Do you think this could actually be the straw that breaks the camel's back in this debate? Um, I'm. I was always a VAR refused Nick, uh, even from the beginning. So I hate to say I told you so, but to be honest, I think we're a little bit too far down the road now with it I don't see how they can introduce it now and then take it away next season Mm. but it was it's just for me it's just not worth the extra I think I read somewhere yesterday that um, before VAR referees in the Premier League were getting 94% of decisions correct Mm. and with VAR they're getting 97% of decisions correct. <laughs> is it worth fundamentally altering the entire game and the spectacle for the, that 3%? Um, and for me personally, it's not. I'd, I just I just hate it, really. <laughs> yeah. And I hate the fact that every weekend we have to go through the same debate over and over again about what is and isn't offside. Go, you know, just everything about it is just awful. And yeah, I just, it's just not for me. It's really, yeah. really not for me. It's created this whole sort of new emotion when you see a goal scored sort of for your team or against your team or whatever. You're kind of thinking, mm, I wonder if there's anything that happened there that could rule that out. So like, you kind of, you don't celebrate properly and you also don't like get too annoyed when you see a goal go in because you think, well, it might get ruled out here. There yeah, might, might be some bizarre, bizarre like offside or, or some little handball in the build-up that's going to rule it out. And and surely the entire reason we watch football and we support a football team is for that split second, right? right? Yeah. And, if, and if it's like fundamentally altering that, then I just, yeah, I really don't 
see how it's adding to the game in any way, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I was going to ask you, has VAR made football better or worse? I think you've answered that question. I'm going to bring forward a question that I had for you from, from later in the show, uh, from the Everton game. So mm. James Rodriguez had a goal uh, disallowed in that game. Yeah. Well, Everton had two goals disallowed, but the James yeah. Rodriguez one was a really good goal. Um, it, it was very, very tight, but it was offside. Yeah. And without VAR, that goal probably stands. Do we want to go back to that? I mean, we do, don't we? I mean, I think it was so tight that before VAR, it wouldn't. People would have just accepted that's a goal. Mm. I think the sort of margins now are so fine that okay, maybe all right. If it was technically offside, it's offside. But like I said, if before VAR, people would have just shrugged and been like, "Oh yeah, that's a mar- that's like a marginal decision. Give the sort of benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Like that's fine." I just think we've created. We've created something. We've really created a monster with it now, and yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just like I say, fundamentally altering the game, and not for the better at all. Mm, I mean, we even even the players are saying they're starting to fall out of love with the game. Then you know, yeah. there's a problem, isn't there? I well, mean, um, yeah, I think Guardiola said something similar, didn't he, this weekend? He just said, that, you know, he's just not enjoying this season yeah, at all, yeah. and obviously that's partly to do with the pandemic as well. But um, yeah, sometimes. You know, with with stuff like the Salago, it's just a real slog, isn't it? You just like, oh bloody hell, not this again. <laughs> well, there was that penalty decision uh, that got Brighton's equaliser given for a foul by Andy Robertson on Danny Welbeck. Any complaints about that one? Because nah. when it first happened, I I uh, I was texting Joel Sanders and Murray, and I said if that is given as a penalty, I might take up a different sport because I can't, I cannot believe it. I mean, I, I had a bit of a, a bugbear earlier in the season. I can't remember exactly which incident it was. I think it might have been Liverpool against Newcastle or something like that. Um, when I was saying that it's, I think, I think it's unfair that you can like get penalised for trying to kick the ball. Essentially, like the whole point of the game is that you're supposed to kick the ball, and then and then if you if you're slightly too late when kicking the ball, yeah, you can give a, you can give a penalty when it's rewarded by a free shot from twelve yards. That just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. So this kind of falls under that category for me not for you no oh, uh, maybe it could have been an indirect free kick but I think it's a foul and it's a foul inside the box so yeah it was a penalty for me and I, I mean yeah, but even in like real time I thought that looked like a penalty so yeah mm. I don't have any complaints about that one to be honest I, yeah I don't really understand people moaning about that one I've got, got to admit <laughs> well Liverpool uh, had already got away with one penalty they gave away in the first mm. half as well no complaints about that one um, Aaron Connolly also missed a one-on-one with Allison in the first half do you think Liverpool's uh, defensive frailties are beginning to show a little bit I I mean we'll go on to Klopp in a minute but his excuse making is exactly that it's excuse making for what's been pretty bad performances recently they I was I was chatting to Joel as well on Saturday a Saturday afternoon and um Liverpool just wide open really really wide open and yeah with some better finishing Brighton could have been 2-0 up before half time quite easily and I don't think that don't think Liverpool could have complained at all yeah it was um I don't think Nat Phillips had his best game you know he did well in his debut against West Ham last time but mm-hmm. yeah I thought he struggled a little bit and looked yeah, he 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 was poor. I thought, um, and yeah, they were carved open a lot. And I think it really shows how much they miss Jordan Henderson. You know, the sort of the difference between the first half and the second half was was huge. And yeah, the people that sort of question what Jordan Henderson offers to this Liverpool team, your answer was there in the first half. I thought, just as an organizer as well. You yeah, can hear him shouting all the way through the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So it was Neil Malpe who missed that penalty. He's the first player to start a Premier League game, miss a penalty and be subbed off before half-time since Dennis Bergkamp <laughs> against Derby in April 1998, which is uh, probably Good my favourite start of this weekend. Indeed, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking during this game, you know, Brighton, we've we talked a lot about, you know, how Graham Potter has sort of stylistically improved them during his time at the club, but the results haven't really improved that much. If they could finish, if they had a decent strike, I mean, they've got Danny Welbeck now, but if they had a, a proper, you know, yeah. a, array of decent strikers, finishers, do you reckon they could be a top half side I really like Brighton I really like what Graham Potter's doing there actually you can sort of tell in every game that they've played this season and I've watched a few of them they've got a plan they're clearly very well coached and like you say if they had a proper finisher yeah I, I don't see I, they'd certainly be out of relegation trouble yeah I, I really really like Graham Potter I was chatting to him with my dad actually on Saturday and then we were watching this game and uh, he made a good shout Graham Potter for the next England manager yeah why Which, not I guess. Uh, yeah yeah I think he's he's clearly a good coach and he's getting time to sort of implement his ideas at Brighton. Um yeah, they've they've spent they have spent some a bit of money but good money as well and um yeah, perhaps they could spend it spend a bit more on a striker in January and yeah they could I don't see any reason why they couldn't finish top half to be honest he seems to have the sort of personality required to, to be England manager as well which yeah. with the best will in the world I mean he doesn't really have a personality <laughs> does he <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know him personally but yeah. I, I don't you know people talk about like Mourinho for the England job I don't think yeah, he, he yeah. would be suited to that really I don't think it's, it's his skill set I think with that sort of job you need to manage up as well as down and he sort yeah. of seems like he has he's would be a good uh Good diplomat in that respect. Uh, so Diogo Jota got on the score sheet again for Liverpool. That's his ninth of the season in all competitions. But I looked at the table from last season. Liverpool had scored six more goals for the 10 games of last season. Do you think that suggests that Jota's carrying a bit too much of the goal-scoring burden for them at the moment? Or is it just the case they keep getting goals this loud? Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. But it's um, we mentioned this last week, but it's astonishing how well he's he's adapted to that Liverpool team. He's... Yeah, he was. It was a really good finish, actually, as well on Saturday, and he's um, he's properly hit the ground running. I th- um, it was a surprise to me that Mane didn't didn't start. Um, I guess that's part of uh, you know Klopp's rotation idea with the fixtures and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I think he he probably is carrying a bit too much of the burden at the moment. But that's purely down to him <laughs> scoring every game. So yeah. Um, yeah, he's been really really impressive, and yeah, it was a re- really really good finish again. He's class, he's, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's brilliant. Uh, Mohamed Salah was taken off in the second half. He wasn't happy about being subbed. Uh, Klopp did allude to it in his post-match interview that he, he you know, it's one just one of those things really that he's obviously desperate to play every minute, and you know, all the great strikers are, I suppose. But do you reckon that there might be a bit of trouble in paradise there? Oh, well, I've I've long thought that if one of that front three is to go, it would be Salah. Mm. Um, you know, we we can't fully know what's happened off field, but you know, I can't imagine Klopp was very happy with his um, positive Corona test early in the month. Um, and there's there's been a few instances where he's sort of you know thrown his toys out the pram a little bit when he's been subbed off or whatever. So. Um, He's a brilliant striker and he's been Liverpool, one of Liverpool's best players for the past three years. But, um, you know, like you say, with Jota coming in, um, yeah, I, I think he could be the one to go if there is one If there is one to go, to be honest. It's been an interesting kind of character development with Salah because you remember his sort of first season at Liverpool, he was like, came across as this very sort of down to earth, kind of humble guy, um, was banging in the goals all, all over the place. Now he seems to have got a little bit Hollywood for me. He seems mm. to be a little bit like, you know, yeah. you, you wouldn't be surprised if he if he was sort of angling for a move to Real Madrid in the not too distant future or something yeah. like that. And, yeah, uh, you know, there's been a bit of concern from Liverpool fans about whether he's a bit greedy, whether he should pass to a team 
teammates a bit more as well. So, uh, yeah, I think you might be right about that. I think he could be the, the first one to go. And, mm. you know, they've, they've got Jota now, so they perhaps uh, don't need need to keep hold of Salah. Yeah, it wouldn't be so quite as big a wrench to see him leave as it would have been before Jota's arrival, definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about Klopp's post-match interview, <laughs> which was probably my highlight of the weekend, I think, actually. <laughs> so he, he's definitely right, isn't he, about the scheduling not protecting players from, in, uh, from injury. But I, I thought BT Sports' Daz Kelly did have a point about him sort of barking up the wrong tree and saying, look, you need to speak to your club about this. You need to speak to the Premier League about this. It's not the broadcaster's fault completely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Klopp is, I mean, he is right in in some respects. He he went about it in entirely the wrong way. Um, I think he wouldn't be saying this if Liverpool were winning every game. It's clearly... So it's just a, it's you know it's an excuse or a number of excuses for their poor performances at the moment. Um, I, I think Des Kelly did really well actually in sort of coming back at him and giving a counterpoint of view, should yeah. we say? But um, yeah, and I, I, I think this is just the tax you pay for being good. Mm. I'm afraid, like Wednesday, Saturday afternoon. Okay, it isn't ideal, but Liverpool were at home on Wednesday. Liverpool made a number of changes at the weekends. They're playing Brighton. They should be beating Brighton, you know, no matter what Klopp says. Um, and it's, you know, and like I said, if if you want to be one of the best teams in the league, you have to play midweek and Saturday. Mm. That's just how it is, I'm afraid. And also, the, we're constantly told that it's a squad game. This is what you use your squad for. Yeah. I know. I know they've got an unusual amount of injuries, but... You know, they've got one of the best youth teams in the country. There's plenty of teenagers in, you know, in their under 23s who I'm sure could do a job. And like I say, they're playing Brighton, who were, you know, were battling relegation last season. So um, I think at this point last season, Liverpool had played two games more than they have this season. So, you know, I just, I think Klopp, although it's probably right to bring up the scheduling went about it entirely the wrong way. And I think calling out Chris Wilder was a very, very strange <laughs> yeah. move on his part. Um, and also, this one of the good things about the Premier League and one of the one of the main like things with the proposed Super League that we saw earlier on in the year was there's 20 clubs in the Premier League and each team, there's 20 votes. And I think and it was 16 teams voted for three subs rather than five. So, you know, they voted for it. And I'm afraid Klopp just has to get on with it and yeah. stop moaning because it's coming across as pretty sour grapes now, isn't it? And it's interesting that Liverpool were one of the clubs who were sort of determined to do away with this one club, one vote thing as well, exactly, isn't it? When you put yeah. it like that there. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I do sympathise with them totally. and I, I do think they could make it a bit easier for the clubs who play in Europe by perhaps giving them an extra day's recovery and making them play Sundays. But then if they play Sundays, then how do they then... But there's Champions on, League this week. Tuesday, so, yeah. So it's, yeah. the whole thing's a mess, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not necessarily just... The, I mean, I don't want to come out and shill for the broadcasters here who make billions from the game every year but I don't think it's entirely their fault and like you say I think he, he perhaps does need to look at himself in terms of his rotation a little bit you know Milner who's who's the one who got the, the injury that he, he was so upset about uh, started against Atalanta on Wednesday night played the full 90 minutes I believe and then also started at Brighton so exactly, you kind yeah. of think well yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's a little bit of frustration at his own um, performance as a manager that has come to the fore there, yeah but, yeah you mentioned the beef with Chris Wilder there. Whose side are you on with this five, five <laughs> subs thing, do you think? Well, 
I've got to back my former manager, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm happy with three subs, to be honest. I don't really see what... I mean, I do see what five subs would bring to the party, but and I do fundamentally think it would give an unfair advantage to the to the bigger teams with better better and deeper squads to be honest so yeah. i think three subs is just about right maybe four is a good compromise um but yeah i just yeah i'm on chris wilder's side with this one and yeah i mean <laughs> yeah maybe uh yeah it was, it was just a funny it's just a strange beef to have really isn't it yeah. and i'm i've actually just googled now and uh liverpool sheffield united is uh the end of february Ooh. so hopefully by then could see a full anfield <laughs> And a bit of a touchline, <laughs> argy bargy between Chris Wilder and Jurgen Klopp. Put that one in your diary. If Chris Wilder's still in the job, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking, would this be a really stupid idea if that you you were allowed to make five subs if you'd had a European game in the same week, or if you'd had a, if you had two games in the same week, they, they could just do it on a kind of game by game basis to say, uh, okay, no, play. that's that gives that is fundamentally unfair to yeah. the clubs who aren't in Europe, isn't yeah, it? I so. No, no, I'm not having that done, I'm afraid. <laughs> they just shouldn't be playing so much bloody football. No, well, that's, that's it. That's it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Manchester United came from 2-0 down at half-time to win 3-2 away at Southampton on Sunday. Admit it, like me, you thought they would have had a buried at half-time, <laughs> didn't you? I'll be completely honest. Uh, it was 2-0 at half-time and I thought, do you know what? I want to watch Chelsea Tottenham, so I'm going to go for a run. Uh <laughs> Half time, and uh, so I missed the second half. Did you? So, yeah, I did. Yeah, so I've, I've I've gone back and watched it, and um, yeah, they looked they did look completely dead and buried, didn't they? Um, <laughs> I thought Southampton were very very sloppy in the second half, and um, yeah, the introduction of Edison Cavani totally changed things for United. But um, yeah, it's sort of interesting now that that's is that eight away wins on the bounce now for Man mm. United, and four when they've come from behind. So. I think, you know, I'm the first to uh, say how bad Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is as a manager. But um, I think, you know, you can clearly see that the players are playing for him and, and what, you know, want him to do well. Like I said, coming back from four, four games, coming back from goals down. Yeah, it's, um, it's very impressive. Yeah. Well, I, I was working with with yourself and Joel this weekend, and on Saturday, Joel had to rewrite his entire Liverpool-Brighton <laughs> match report because he'd already written it from the sort of perspective that Liverpool won the game. And on Sunday, he'd already started writing, Southampton win comfortably against Manchester United. And I was like, it's half-time, mate. Can you just calm down? You're going to jinx it again. And look what he did. Look what he bloody did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what do you think this tells us more about this United team? Their spirited comeback in this game or the fact they kind of found themselves in that position in the first place? I don't want to give Solskjaer the kind of weekly shoeing we do this week, but it is kind of interesting that they do keep having to dig themselves out of these holes. I, I think it can it can be both things, can't it? They are, the players are clearly playing for him, but also you have to question how they're starting games and how they're setting up. You know, they, they shouldn't be going to know that. Well, you know, Southampton are a good side, but it's and it is an impressive comeback, but they shouldn't be going goals down to begin with. Um, and yeah, that doesn't, despite them winning, this doesn't really change my opinion on Solskjaer. Maybe I'm being a bit too dogmatic, but um, 
yeah, you sort of have to question how they're starting games if they if they keep conceding. If yeah, if you ask me, to be honest. Yeah, well, they've got uh, you know some very good players who, who can kind of get them out of trouble. One of them is Edinson Cavani, who came in at half time, assisted the first goal, and then scored two to win the game. Do you think he's going to be more of a starter for them after this? I, I mean, he was very, very good, and you could just tell his movement is superb. Mm. You know, you can really see that he's been one of the best strikers in in Europe for probably the past decade now, isn't it? Um, I I thought he was going to be a bit of a foul cow, but he's yeah. I mean, even the goals were good yesterday, but even that assist, you know, just the way mm. he sort of found the space, dropped off Carl Walker, Walker Peters, and then whipped that cross him was brilliant, and then. Yeah, the both headers were were proper proper finishes. Yeah, finishes. Um, yeah, they, he was superb. So yeah, I mean, Marcus Rashford's sort of struggling a little bit at the moment. Mason Greenwood missed two really really good opportunities. So yeah, I don't really see why Edison Cavani couldn't start. To be honest, maybe it's just um, his age and the sort of tempo of the Premier League that would stop him getting a, a continuous run of games. But yeah. I don't see any reason why why he shouldn't start. And he wasn't playing for quite a while, was he? So I think he yeah. uh, needs to get up to speed as well. But yeah, yeah Ralph Hasenhutl was saying after the game that he's so hard to defend against. And Harry Maguire was saying about his movement as well. He said yeah. he's, he's the best striker that I've sort of played against in training. You know, he's he'll have played with Jamie Vardy and yeah, uh, yeah, Harry yeah. Kane and all those yeah. players. So for him to say that is uh, is is no. Um, mm. You know, it means something, doesn't it? Uh, Donny van der Beek also made his uh, first Premier League start in this game. How do you think he got on? Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, my fans have been clamouring for his inclusion for a long time now. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sort of always loath to sort of question managers for their for their starting lineups because we don't know what's going on in the training pitch and we can't fully understand what's actually going on at the club. But it was it was strange to see him not start games, especially mm-hmm. when he had been in the Champions League and they've been performing so well. Um, but yeah, he's he's a quality midfielder, isn't he? And yeah. he's and I think he's the sort of box to box midfielder that they've been crying out for for a long time. So yeah, I can maybe now Solskjaer feels he's up to the pace and he's sort of got an idea of what the team's all about, and he'll be he'll be one of the first names on the team sheet. I, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean that three man midfield they played with Van der Beek, Matic, and Fred. I'm not convinced by Matic or Fred. No, yeah. Really. I think they might be after looking for for another holding midfielder in the in the next transfer window yeah. or so. But uh, but yeah, I think they've definitely got a, a a good player in Van der Beek there who could be a star for them now yeah, going forward. So yeah, good to see him playing actually. Um, Southampton's second goal uh, in the first half came from a James Ward Prowse free kick. Do you think that was a, a good free kick from him? I mean, it was a good free kick, or but do you, but do you think David De Gea should have done a bit better? Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both. But yeah, I sort of. Don't want to criticise the keeper too much when it was such a good free kick. I think, um, yeah, he's been superb, hasn't he? He's, I think that's nine free kicks now in the Premier League he's scored. Only mm. David Beckham scored more um, in Premier League history. So, yeah, he's a. Uh, it's sort of interesting his development, really, because I think before Hazen Hoot was a rival, he was sort of one of those Premier League players who you could just totally forget about and yeah. just sort of not be in your purview at all whereas this season or or maybe towards the second half of last season as well he's sort of he's always been good at a dead ball but he's sort of added a lot more to his game now and he's he's actually sort of low-key a bit nasty and he sort of loves a quite good at picking up an odd yellow card but you know a good yellow card when you know his team need him to put a foot through or whatever so I I really like him and yeah he's sort of he'd be a shoo-in for the England squad for the Euros as well for me I think he's uh 
think he's a really, really good midfielder. Yeah, has he been getting anything in the squads lately? I can't yeah, remember. he was yeah. in the in the last few. He was sort of coming on, you know, eight, yeah. sort of seventieth minute. Yeah, I, I, he's not a star for me in the England team, but mm. that his dead balls are so good. It's almost like a you know American football style specialist <laughs> coming on and uh, win. Yeah, Jack Grealish winning the free kicks and James, James Ward-Prowse scoring them. That could be England's path. Shame they can't just the bring Euros. him on just for that, isn't it, I guess? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so De Gea went off injured at half-time after colliding with the post uh, from that free kick. Dean Henderson came on, of course. Um, we didn't really learn a lot about Henderson in this game, given that he had pretty much nothing to do in the no. second half. But uh, do you think De Gea might be concerned about losing his number one spot if, yeah, I mean, if I, he's out I, for a few games and Henderson yeah. comes in? I think he's a really Henderson's. I mean, we saw at Sheffield United last season just how good a goalkeeper he is, um, and we've and it's been proved by how badly Sheffield United are doing this season. Yeah, you know, how, yeah. how well he did. So, I think yeah, I think Dean Henderson's a great goalkeeper. It, he sort of struggled in that Istanbul Basaksehir game. Um, he was sort of could argued could be at fault for both of their goals, and that sort of might have, might have knocked him back a little bit. But I think with the runner games, as with all goalkeepers, if you get a runner games and you get a few clean sheets sort of no stopping you so I think this could potentially be a blessing in disguise for Man, uh, for Man United mm. I, I, I like De Gea and he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for a long time but um, you can't help but feel that his time might have come there and Henderson's the uh, the better option and this is a sort of good way of pushing him to the side and, and bringing through Dean Henderson mm. I think I remain to be fully convinced by Henderson personally yeah I think he I think he I don't know, there was some times at Sheffield United last season where I thought he looked a bit ropey, but uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Ralph Hasen-Tootle will be disappointed his side threw away the three points in this game. What do you think happened to them in that second half? They just sort of, they couldn't lay a glove on United after half. No, they, they were sloppy, weren't they? Yeah. You know, they've, I think all three goals you could argue were sort of lap, massive lapses in concentration that Hasen-Tootle will be absolutely furious about. Yeah, the first one, Kyle Walker-Peters was, it was a good movement from from Cavani, but he dropped off Cavani totally and, and allowed him to get the cross in, which, yeah, all managers absolutely hate. Mm. And then I think it was Vestergaard for the second goal, wasn't anywhere near Cavani. Um, and I've completely forgotten the other Southampton centre back's name, but he was, uh, yeah, he was sort of caught napping as well late on for the for the third goal. So I like, I really like Southampton. I think they've been brilliant this season, but. Um, yeah, that was that was three lapses of concentration. I think um, mm. it will be uh, spitting feathers today. I'd imagine <laughs> at, uh, training. <laughs> Jan Bednarak is the name. That's it. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, on Sunday night, Wolves got their first ever win at the Emirates Stadium where they won 2-1 away at Arsenal. First thing we wish a speedy recovery to Raul Jimenez after that sickening yeah. clash of heads with David Luiz. The latest update today is that he's had an operation and it's recovering in hospital, which is good to know, but just the sound of that was so awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it wasn't good. And it sort of reminded me of the Ryan Mason one for Tottenham yeah, against yeah. Hull. Was it against Hull, I think? Um, I yeah, it was really, really not good. And you can just sort of tell immediately with that sort of thing when the players stop on the pitch and sort of, you know, want to beckon on physio straight away, you can just tell that it's going to be a bad one. But yeah, it's um, it's looking good. So yeah, like I say, Wolves have just tweeted now saying that um, yeah, he's responding well. So yeah, wish him a speedy recovery, definitely. Yeah, he was just motionless on the turf and it was yeah, sort it was of horrible, proper panic, panic station. Yeah. Where, you know, it could be a very grave situation mm. that for someone, couldn't it? Uh, Especially when, it, you know, it's not, you know, an ACL was bad or a broken ankle was bad, but this, yeah. you know, this is like life, or life death. and death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Glad he's okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it begs the question, why was David Luiz allowed to stay on for the rest of the first half? 
I, yeah, I think this is bordering on a disgrace, to be honest. Yeah. I think um, the sooner football gets in line with other with other sports, um, you know, rugby league, rugby union, um, even cricket, they all have concussion um, subs. And yeah, I just I think football's so far behind in this. It's it's an absolute disgrace. You know, he's he was clear. You know, there was blood seeping through his bandage, yeah, yeah. and halfway through the first half, they're letting him take a free kick, and it was just yeah. I just think it's it was a shit free kick as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think he this needs to be taken out of the players' hands. Um, yeah, it's just it's not right, and there needs to be con- concussion substitutes. I think it's. Um, I know they're actually trialing this in the FA Cup. Um, what is this ne- a trial? I don't. I don't really. I think it's from yeah. next season. Um, there's, they're definitely thinking about it, yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it can't come too soon for me. I think um, it's just so dangerous, and mm. yeah, it's just it's not right, and it really wasn't right. It was just awful to see David Luiz on that pitch last night, and yeah, mm. thankfully at halftime he came off, and um, yeah, it was yeah, it's just not right. I mean, I mean in, football, my, football. in my opinion. Um, until there are rules in place whereby players aren't allowed to continue, there's any chance of concussion. I think clubs should take matters into their own hands. I think Mikel Arteta sort of just taking him off. Yeah, but, but yeah. No, no. I mean, let's be honest. It's only David Luiz. Yeah, it's not like I, you're losing Messi in a Champions yeah. League final, is it? Like, just get him off. It could, it could be really serious. That I saw. Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of understand in that managers can sometimes be so caught up in the game and, and you know players mm. want to play and all that, all that sort of stuff. But that's where you need. A strong doctor who you know can should should be able should feel comfortable to be able to go to the manager and say he's not playing anymore mm. um, and until the sort of environment is put in place where that is okay and you know there won't be any repercussions then yeah it's um yeah then just needs to be concussion substitutes mm. add, added to the game as soon as possible really and you should be able to make a free sub shouldn't you like, yeah exactly Raul, yeah, yeah. Raul, uh, Wolves shouldn't have had to make a sub uh, no. you waste one of their subs on Raul Jimenez basically. no exactly yeah. I mean what maybe one solution would be to have the player kind of go off and while they're being checked you're allowed to just put someone on as like a, mm. in the meantime and if they're okay to come back on after that if the doctor's cleared them then you can put them on and just... well that, that happens in rugby so it's called yeah. a, uh, I can't remember the exact name for it but yeah the, you're, you can bring someone on and yeah, if if they're de- they're past fit by the physios back in the back in the changing rooms, then they can come back on and yeah, the sub goes back off. And then yeah, I don't really know why that hasn't been added in football. To be honest, do you think there's a concern that it could be open to abuse though? That they could Maybe. be teams who've made all yeah, three subs to get one guy on and go, oh, I've got a head injury, I've got to yeah, come quite, off. I mean, that is definitely a possibility. Yeah, like in rugby, there was the, the Bloodgate scandal from a few years ago yeah, where, yeah. Um, yeah, you're allowed to take a player off if they're bleeding um, and bring another one on. And I think it was Harlequins, um, the fit, one of the uh, players, bit into a blood capsule That's right, yeah. um, with fake blood just to take himself off so they could put another player on. So, yeah, there's always, the opportunity, there's always yeah, that opportunity for it to be abused in that way. But I think... Yeah, when there's, like I say, it's a head injury. This is life and death. This could be very, very serious. I just, yeah, I just think that it has, football has to get into 2020 and, um, yeah, change change its rules. <laughs> yeah. Well, onto the game itself, it was a disappointing performance and result from Arsenal on the one-year anniversary of Unai Emery sacking. <laughs> they spoiled the party there, didn't they? <laughs> How much progress do you think they've actually made in that year? I'm very conflicted with this. I think um, that they seemed like they had. Mm. But and and that Man United game from a few weeks ago, you know, everyone was sort of saying this was the turning point, and they're sort of 
you know, it was, was it El Nenny? It was sort of like, and Partey were just sort of busting a gut, yeah. tracking back, tackling. It was, this was the new Arsenal, but I don't, I really don't know. I, I, I can sort of see the semblance of a plan from Arteta, but he just doesn't have the players to do it. I don't mm. think I'm, I'm sort of struggling to see where they go from here, to be honest. They, you know, like with that Man United result a few weeks ago, they are able to get a great result, you know, in, in one-off games, like they did in the cup final, like they did against, in, against Man City um, and Man City as well. They're able to get a one-off result, but when they're actually forced to sort of take the initiative in a game, they look like they really struggle. And I think part of that has to fall on the players' shoulders and part of that has to fall on Arteta's shoulders. Um, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to sack Arteta. I think that would be quite reactionary from them and they've put so much sort of faith in him mm. and made him manager, not just head coach. Um, that, yeah, that would that would seem slightly reactionary to me. But yeah, it's, I mean, they're not going to finish top four this season, are they? And, no. and do you think that this would be a season where you know, with so much going on outside of the pitch and sort of results all over the place that this would actually be an opportunity for a club like Arsenal to regain their Champions League place. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with Arsenal at the moment, to be honest. I, I, I like Arteta, but, yeah, I'm not... I just don't know where they go from here, to be uh, perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, he definitely deserves a lot more time than yeah. he's had and, and I don't I don't think they're a club who are kind of banking on getting back in the Champions League anytime soon for their kind of you know immediate future are they really um, I don't think it's like des- a desperate situation for them in that way so I think it's going to take a lot longer than perhaps we thought it would um, for them to get anywhere near being sort of you know even back in back in the top four never mind challenging for titles but you, you'd, you'd think if you'd think with the stadium being empty this would be the perfect opportunity for them to sort of like re-establish themselves as that sort of club that are on the front for attacking you know there's no Mm. you know if there's a few you can take you can take risks in that respect because there's there's not the north bank just sort of booing you every time (laughs) you sort of put it out for throwing or whatever so but and and now obviously fans are allowed to get come back into the ground slowly so i I don't know i feel like this is probably like a really big missed opportunity for arsenal Mm. to be honest um yeah they were poor but they were as poor as Wolves were brilliant, actually. I thought Wolves, it was sort of the consumer away performance in the Premier League. They were they were brilliant. And especially when you sort of look at, you know, that head injury to Raul Jimenez was horrible. Yeah. And you could really see that it was affecting the players. To then be able to turn on a performance like that, I, th- I thought was just absolutely brilliant and showed where Wolves are as a football club. I, I really like them and, um, and a special mention to Conor Cody as well, who's my, mm. my favourite footballer in the Premier League. I absolutely love him. Um, he's an England starter for me at the Euros. I think he's he's brilliant. And just the way he was almost like holding the players' hands and just like guiding them through the game and yeah. through that performance through 90 minutes was just brilliant. And then the way he spoke afterwards as well, he's just, um, yeah, I love him. I think he's a brilliant player and a mm-hmm. brilliant captain for them. Well, the, yeah, the way they responded to adversity is what really marks them out as a good side for me. You mentioned the Jimenez thing, you know, any any club would have been, you would have forgiven them for kind of going into the shell after that yeah. and, and worrying about the, their teammate and, and, you know, being a bit sickened by what had happened. Instead, straight away, they, they started playing, they scored the goal. Then they can see the equaliser 
after what was it two minutes or something yeah, they, were, yeah. they were ahead for and you think all right well maybe now that that this is the time when they retreat into the shell then but they responded really well to that setback and went two one up and then you know second half they, they dug in defended well were dangerous on the break could have perhaps could have uh you know won a bit more comfortably there was a, a shout for a penalty what did you think of that one actually I thought it was a penalty, yeah. yeah. I mean, if that, um, if, that, if that one at Brighton's a penalty. Yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, he sticks his leg out, doesn't he? And I, just, I mean, there's probably not contact, but I don't... He goes around him really well. Yeah, for me, that's that should have been a penalty. But yeah, yeah, just... I think, and especially without any European football this season for Wolves, if they can get a string of results together now, who knows how far they could go. They were sort mm. of... Before the season, I thought they might be dark horses for top four and... Um, with this season as it is so far, it's, I don't know, nothing I don't know, Nothing yeah. I've seen has changed that opinion for me, to be honest. I would be surprised if they got top four, just because I think there are... There are there are four better teams than the yeah. league, I think, even this year, aren't they? But they've got 17 points from 10 games. That's their best tally since 1979. Oh. And they're, they're sixth in the table now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, just going back to, to Arsenal for a moment, you know, we talked about uh, Arteta a lot, about how he's made them defensively solid. But what's the point of that if you if you can't score goals <laughs> at the other end, really? I mean, they've, they've tried moving Aubameyang into the, the central striker role the last couple of games. It hasn't really worked. He looks a bit disinterested against Wolves, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Do you think a, a new kind of number nine is what they really need? But um, And if so, who could they realistically get that would be an improvement on what they already well, have? Well, I don't think they need to get anyone. They've got Eddie Nketiah, who I think is a brilliant player, a brilliant young player who's mm-hmm. scoring goals for fun at youth level and England at 21 level. I think he's done well whenever he's been asked to play. Um, I, yeah, and I just I don't really see why he's not getting the chance, to be honest. Um, You'll win nothing uh, with kids, mate. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, and just and Bamian clearly likes having the space out wide on the left hand side and cutting in and you know just trying whipping that ball in with his right foot. I just yeah, it's, it sort of seems odd that they're trying to force Bamian into a position that he doesn't really enjoy and playing. You know, you, you even saw it last night where. Aubameyang was nominally the central striker with Willian out wide and the amount of times I saw Aubameyang crossing for Willian it was like it's just ridiculous mm. so take Willian out and put a proper striker in the middle I just don't know it seems um, Willian is poor isn't it oh uh, yeah I mean he did was it the Fulham game first, first game, game of the season, season he got yeah. two yeah and everyone yeah. thought bloody hell what a signing <laughs> um, yeah he's been poor and and Aubameyang's been poor since he signed his new contract he's sort of gone right off the boil mm. so yeah that, that would worry me if I was an Arsenal fan but yeah there'd be a lot that would worry me if I was an Arsenal fan right now to be perfectly yeah. honest we talked about Sunday League shouts on the podcast last week. I think the, <laughs> the best one this weekend was Rob Holden saying, he's built like a brick shit house. How's he going down like that? <laughs> yeah. I am, I am going to miss that aspect of this, um, you know, crowdless football when we have to go back, when, when we go back to, uh, you know, crowds being in stadiums. It's about the only thing I will miss from this this era of football, but I will well, miss I, being able to hear what the players are saying. I've been watching with crowd noise this weekend, right. just, to, just because uh, when we've been watching in Berlin, it's all... Um, yeah, there's no crowd noise at all. Yeah. So yeah, I watched it with crowd noise, and it's it's rubbish. Yeah, I much prefer it. Yeah, listening to the players and um, yeah, listening to the manager shouts and that sort of thing. Yeah, that Rob Holding <laughs> one was uh, was very good. <laughs> well, the match I was most looking forward to this weekend finished Chelsea nil, Tottenham nil at Stamford <laughs> Bridge on Sunday. Matt Froelich said on last week's show that we would learn a lot about Spurs from this game. What do you think we learned about them? I think we learned that Tottenham think they can win the league, mm. and that a point away at Chelsea is a good point despite Mourinho's uh, quotes afterwards saying that his, uh, his dressing room weren't happy with the result. Um, but yeah, I think Tottenham 
Tottenham know they're in with a shout and they know that you win you win the division by getting points away at Chelsea. Um, I think it was very unspur I hate the phrase, but it was very unspursy that was that <laughs> performance. Um, they just looked really solid, didn't they? I, I mean, I've, I'm not a sort of I'm not going to be one of these people that says a nil-nil and it was a brilliant game and it was very tactically interesting. I thought it was absolute shite, yeah. but um, it was. They were just really solid, weren't they? And you know, Chelsea. I think Chelsea had twelve shots, maybe, but like one on target. They never looked like scoring all day. Um, obviously, apart from the Werner offside goal. Um, but yeah, I just I've been really, really impressed with Tottenham and just the way that um, and Mourinho likes to say this word all the time. But their mentality change since he's come into the come into the club has just been very, very impressive. And I. Uh, I laughed when Mourinho got the job and sort of expected it to blow up in his face, but it's been brilliant and they've been brilliant. And yeah, I just, yeah, he's just totally changed them into a Mourinho team. And I'm amazed it's only taken a year for that to happen. So. Do you know what? I, I wrote a piece on the day that they appointed him saying that he will deliver a trophy to Tottenham. I don't know. I don't know when it will be. Uh, I don't know what it will be, but he'll do it. And around the sort of, you know, end of, his first se- was it was it his last season his first season I can't remember. yeah it was wasn't it yeah around around sort of the end of last season I was not very convinced by oh. my own my own uh, idea but now I'm starting to think I don't know if they'll win the league this season I think they probably won't to be honest that's my hunch but you know they've got to be looking at the FA Cup or something like that I think or well, the, well, or the it Europa was, League it, possibly. It, 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 it was Chelsea away last season when Mourinho, they got battered, if you remember, and, mm. and Mourinho came out after the game and said, I can't wait for the end of this season. Um, and it was sort of sounded like, it really sounded like the Man United Mourinho, very <laughs> just sort of down and dour. And, you know, just, I just thought, what's he doing here? But now, I mean, it's, I know it's a little thing, but just like every quote he comes out with, even in press conferences, is sort of like, I don't know, it's just been picked up on as like, oh, that's like quite a funny line. Yeah, or yeah. I don't know, it just sort of seems like back to the old Mourinho. And and you can just tell that being at a club like Tottenham just suits him so much better. Whether that's because he's living in London, and he's got his family there, I don't know. I'm sure that's got something to do with it. But Not living in um, a hotel. Yeah, no, I've gone full partridge in the Lowry <laughs> at Manchester. Probably helps. Um, but I don't know, he just seems back to his old, old self and being at a club like Tottenham where you can pull the underdog card and it's not embarrassing like it was at Real Madrid and Man United. Um, I don't know, it's just working. And yeah, this although there wasn't any goals this week and I thought Chelsea actually dealt with Kane and Son pretty well, um, they're, just, they're not losing games like this, which I think is a, a massive step in the right direction for them. Well, you, you mentioned the sort of vintage Mourinho quotes. He said after the game, uh, he was talking about Spurs' title chances. He said, we are not even in the race, so we are not a horse. We are the small, <laughs> young horse, a pony. <laughs> Wasn't there something about, when he was at Chelsea about, we are a horse that needs milk or something? Yeah, like, yeah. I can't, yeah, I can't remember, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or was it eggs? Do you remember he said... Um, we're not Waitrose eggs yet. We're, that was uh, we're right. like Morrison's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But no, it, yeah, like you say, it's just he just seems like his old self again. Mm. And, um, He's got that twinkle in his eyes. He definitely it? has. Yeah. And I think that can only be a good thing for Tottenham. And he was saying afterwards as well that, um, that the, the best thing about it was that the, the, the team weren't happy with the result basically mm. after the game, that they were pissed off in the dressing room. And that's a good sign. Yeah. I think it is a good sign, yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe it's it's wise at this stage of the season, but you think both teams are a little bit overcautious and a bit scared to go for the jugular in this game? It was yeah. it was a bit of a stalemate, wasn't it, really? It was. It was sort of old school, super oh, 
Sunday, wasn't it? I don't it? think Spurs had a shot on target in the second half, the whole second half. No, and I think that just proves that both teams think they can win the league and go pretty mm. far in this league. And a point, a, a, a point is a point gained rather than two points drops. Um, so that was my my reading of it. Um, I thought, and I was really impressed with Mendy in the Chelsea goal. I think mm. he's got more clean sheets than any goalkeeper so far this season. He's only played six games or seven games. Um, so, yeah, he's sort of totally transformed the defence. And Thiago Silva, uh, a signing which I was not convinced by, um, has been brilliant. And, yeah, the way he dealt with Son especially was, um, yeah, was very impressive. So, yeah, like I say, I think these are two teams that realised they could go far and, um, yeah, they didn't want to drop any points. So yeah. a point each was uh, was about right. Indeed, must not lose, I guess, isn't it, one of those yeah. kind of games. Uh, you mentioned that, how, how solid Spurs look, and, and Pierre-Emile Schoiberg is, is the epitome of that. It mm. was Pep Guardiola who gave him his big break at Bayern Munich, but he's every inch the Jose Mourinho midfielder, isn't he? Yeah, he's superb. I think um, we mentioned this last week, but I think he's the signing of the summer for me so far. He's sort of added so much to that Tottenham midfield. And I think what is sort of brilliant about him for Tottenham fans is he's allowed Tanka Ndombele to be Tanka Ndombele. Mm. Um, he's sort of freed him up to sort of push forward and surge on with the ball and he doesn't feel like he has to be sort of dragged back because there's a massive gap in the midfield because Hoiberg basically does two people's jobs. Um, I think he's he's certainly in the top three for um, tackles, one, um, and interceptions, I think, as well so far this season. So, yeah, he's doing everything that... Um, that Mourinho would want of him so far. And um, yeah, it's just a brilliant bit of business. Brilliant bit of business. I think it was only 20 million, something like that, maybe 18. And um, yeah, it's sort of already repaying itself. I remember it, it was sort of uh, Spurs and Everton going for him, weren't they? And uh, Everton yeah. Everton got Allen in the end, who has been you know, a good sign as well. But I remember first game of the season when Everton beat Spurs, sailing on this podcast. Oh, I think I think Everton might have got the better player out of yeah. that deal. Mm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that <laughs> yeah. now, actually. I think I, I think I may have been a bit premature on that one. Um, we, we, we sang Tammy Abraham's praises on last week's show. He was a bit wasteful in this game, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think I actually think this game might change Lampard's mind a little bit and he might give Giroud um, a start in the yeah. next few games I think you could sort of I don't know just sort of Giroud's presence just sort of changed the game for Chelsea later on he probably should have scored actually when was it Joe Rodden um, yeah. headed back to Hugo Lloris late on and yeah he just sort of didn't catch it right but um, yeah I, I, yeah, like, like we said last week I, I really like Abraham and he's a good striker but I, yeah I wouldn't be surprised if um, Giroud gets a few more minutes now mm. All right, balls on the line time now. <laughs> Who's going to finish higher this season, Chelsea or Spurs? Um, I'm going to caveat it <laughs> by it would depend for me how Spurs get on in the Europa League. I think if Spurs say they get knocked out in the quarterfinals of the last 16 or even the last 32, I think they will finish higher. But I think if Spurs get to the last stages of the Europa League, Chelsea will finish higher. But if I had to gun to my head... I will say Spurs. Oh, okay. I would say Chelsea. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For what reason? I just think they've got a better squad. Really. Yeah. I just think they've got a bit more staying power. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say at this point in the season. We've played 10 games, haven't we? So, um, yeah. I think, if Chelsea do Chelsea. Fi- I think if they do finish above Spurs, it will be in spite of Lampard, not because of him. <laughs> Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> still, still not convinced by old. No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> uh, well, Manchester City got back to winning ways with a 5-0 thumping of Burnley on Saturday. There was three interesting performances from City players here. First one's Riyad Mahrez, who scored a fabulous hat-trick. He's been the source of a lot of frustration for City fans this season, but do you think this suggests that maybe he's not the antithesis of how they want to play after all, or...? <sighs> We, oh, do we not read anything into a performance against Burnley? I yeah, um, I like Riyad Mahrez. He's a brilliant technical footballer. I just, for me, he's not Leroy Sane, mm. and I think Man City are really missing Leroy Sane going forward at the moment. Um, or just yeah. someone like him, at least. Just someone, yeah, just someone who can left-footed, explosive winger. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think Riyad Mahrez, for me. Riyad Mahrez slows the game up so much. Mm. Um, he just he wants to take too many touches. Those touches are fantastic, and you know sometimes he'll score a hat trick like he did at the weekend. But and against Burnley, that's fine. But I think in the bigger games where you know Man City might get four chances, I, I wouldn't trust Riyad Mahrez to be finishing one of those. To be honest, so. Mm. Um, yeah, like like you say, it's difficult to read in, in anything into a game against Burnley. And he was, and I, you know, I sound like a right misery guts here having to go at him after scoring a hat trick. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd read too much into into it just yet. Mm. Just for for the record, if there are any Algerians listening to this podcast, <laughs> I I love Riyad Mahrez. I think he's wonderful because they they are very protective of him, as I've learned on Twitter. If you if you say anything about Mahrez, they fucking come for you. Yeah, so, <laughs> so be be careful. Is all I'll, uh, I'll check my DMs later on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one is John Stones, who played well against Olympiacos in the Champions League in midweek and was good again against Burnley. Here, do you think it's possible that he might still still fulfil his potential? You know, there's a lot of talk about him maybe leaving last summer and. He, he stuck around and people, yeah, people wondered about the merits of that decision and you know he's yeah I'm, I'm I like John Stones and I'm surprised there was that much talk about him him going and when there was all that talk it was sort of like he was linked with an Everton return and Newcastle and I, I think he's a brilliant centre-half and he should be playing for a much better team than that um you know maybe he lost a little bit of confidence for whatever reason last season I know he's had a few injuries um Maybe there's something going on off the pitch that we don't know, but I think he's just that sort of player. He's such a confidence player, isn't he? And mm. um, and now he's getting a few, he's getting a run of games. And he was, yeah, and he and he was really good against Olympiacos. Olympiacos hardly had a sniff in that game in midweek, and yeah, and yeah, same same here. It's yeah, it's it is difficult to sort of um, read too much into a game against Burnley, but yeah, he, he was good, and and I'm not sure whether he will fulfil his potential because his potential was so high when he came through at Everton. I think we all thought he was going to be the next Bobby Moore or something like yeah. that. But um, but yeah, I, I I'm I don't think Man City should be getting rid of him by any stretch. No, I I had my sort of suspicions that he might play a decent role in this season, and and he started the first game of the season against Wolves, and I think that was his first Premier League start since then uh, mm. against against Burnley. But it was interesting. Guardiola came out after the game and sort of hinted that uh, he's he's got sort of zero tolerance for players making mistakes this this season. And right. Laporte was arguably at goal at, at fault for the the first goal against Spurs. He's been out of the team since then, and you kind of think he's probably our best defender. Mm. And Guardiola's maybe got this sort of ruthless street to him which which could serve City well or or could blow up in his face who knows, <laughs> yeah. who knows? Uh, the, the other one is Benjamin Mendy who scored his first City goal in his 60th appearance for the club I mean 60 games in three and a half seasons three and a bit seasons tells you all you need to know about him really but uh, if he can stay fit City have got a very good left back on their hands haven't they there oh he, look, he looked so good didn't he at Monaco and when yeah. he signed to City I thought oh, he's going to be exceptional but 
he yeah he just hasn't looked the same since he's had his knee injuries as in I think this was this game on Saturday was sort of the first time we looked at him and and thought about him as that Monaco player he's yeah. sort of you know he had all that explosive pace and um, he was bombing on and his and his delivery was really good and that finish was absolutely exceptional as well so yeah. Um, yeah you just you hope to see him back to his best don't you because he's such a good player and he seems like such a likable character as well so. Mm. Um, and City have struggled at left back, haven't they? Yeah, yeah big time, so big time. it's been one of their problem areas. So um, yeah, hopefully with him back, um, it could fix a few problems. It's just such a huge if him staying fit. It's just like yeah. so many problems that uh, yeah, you, you, yeah. You wonder in a season like this when players are getting muscle injuries, he he'd be one of the first yeah. the first ones yeah. to probably be on the treatment table. I think, but uh, let's hope not. Um, City six points behind Liverpool and Spurs with a game in hand now. They've got Fulham next weekend, Man United and West Brom to come in the next three games. I want to keep giving up on the title this season. But I, I can't, can I really? Like it. They're still well in with a shout, aren't they, really? Yeah, they are. And, and The 10th in the table, but they're well in with a shout. It's Yeah, it's a funny season, isn't it? Isn't it? Like that. I think, um, and yeah, like, like we said before, there's, there's only been 10 games played and, and it's such a weird season that you really can't sort of sort of can't say now what's going to happen even in three weeks time let alone in three months time Mm -hmm. so yeah and I think just the the sheer depth of Man City squad means that um, yeah they're going to they're going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season aren't they and Mm -hmm. they they are able to rotate almost unlike any but probably unlike any other club in Europe let alone the Premier Mm -hmm. League so um yeah, don't give up hope just yet, man. <laughs> well, given Burnley always lose 5-0 at the Etihad, we probably shouldn't <laughs> yeah. read too much into this performance yeah. from them. And, you know, they, they did beat Crystal Palace on Monday, which was, a, you know, more more sort of their level, isn't it? But uh, in the context of that whole season, do you think it's pretty worrying for them that, that they played like that against City? I think it's going to be a very interesting season for Burnley and Sean Dyche. Um, he is sort of, he is Mr Burnley, isn't he? Mm. And they've, they've done so well They've done so well with him as manager. Um, but they're sort of, you sort of, almost a bit like Bournemouth with Eddie Howe, you sort of feel like there has to be some sort of natural regression at some point. Um, I know there's been a lot of off-field problems there. Um, they're looking for a buyer at the moment. Um, and, you know, stuff like towards the end of last season, there were uh, Jeff Hendrick, um, a few other players, their contracts were all sort of run down, mm. um, you know, sort of half due to the players wanting to leave and the other half sort of bad management on the in the boardroom level, um, which is a worry for me. Mm. And they don't spend any money. They've literally, I think that they didn't spend any money in the summer. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you say, this five they lose five minutes. They had every season, and they've done okay. So uh, maybe don't read too much into them doing it again this time around. But um, yeah, I would be slightly worried for Burnley to be honest. But yeah. if there's anyone who can get them out of trouble, it's Sean Dyche. Yeah, you wonder if they got a bit too comfortable about their Premier League status and yeah. thought, "Oh, we'll be all right. We don't need yeah, to spend money. Yeah. We'll be fine." And I mean, maybe they, they they probably couldn't spend money given the the sort of you know pandemic situation and all that. But uh, yeah, it's it's looking a little bit bleak for them. I think it'll be mm. inter- like you say, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, Leeds got their first win in four matches when they were one away at Everton on Saturday evening. You were saying on the podcast last week that you you always sort of clear a space in your diary to watch Leeds you must yeah. have enjoyed this game I think it's oh, it brilliant action-packed one nil I've ever seen in my entire life Leeds had 23 shots yeah it was um it was really good wasn't it I think yeah like I like I said last weekend um but yeah Leeds are just a brilliant side to watch and 
uh, sort of the one thing that I was hoping for from this game was I just wished it was a packed Goodison. It would have mm. been, uh, you know, it would have been even better if it was a, yeah, full house there. But um, yeah, Leeds once again were just absolutely brilliant. They had twenty odd shots, I think, in the end. I think that's now eighty-one shots in their last four games, which is just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, they're just they're a brilliant side, aren't they? And I mean, w- what more can you say about Bielsa that hasn't really been said already? Yeah. They're just um, they're just a brilliant side to watch, aren't they? Mm. And I th- you know, Everton have had their struggles of late, but I thought Everton played really well as well. They, they sort of they really it wasn't just you know onslaught from Leeds. Everton really added to the spectacle. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, Proper Saturday night entertainment, unlike the West Brom Sheffield United game. Yeah, <laughs> the winning goal was a lovely strike from Rafinha. That's his first goal for Leeds. Have you been impressed by what you've seen from him so far? Yeah, I think he's been a brilliant signing. Um, I, I sort of, I did wonder when it was twenty million when you know, that was the that was the fee they paid for from Ren in, in the summer. But um, yeah, he's been he's been superb, and that was a that was a really really good finish as well. Um, and it sort of it tells you how good a player he is that. Um, Bielsa doesn't just throw new players in, you know, it, it always takes a bit of time to uh, to sort of suss, suss out new players. But yeah, you can tell that Bielsa likes him by, purely by the fact that he's playing. So um, yeah, he's, he's looked a, a class act from the, from the few times that I've watched him play this season. Yeah. What do you make of um, Ancelotti playing Awobi and Davies as the win-backs there? <laughs> Bit of a strange just, one. I mean, they, they weren't really sort of attacking, were they? Which was a bit, bit of an odd thing. They're not. I mean, they're not wing backs, are they? Yeah. So, I mean, against Leeds, you have to be at your absolute best. And yeah, play. If, I mean, I, I'm not sure I can blame Awobi and Davis because you know they're not wing backs, and that's that's a difficult position to play in. If you know you're not a wing, natural wing back, so I think they did as well as could be expected. But yeah, I can't imagine that's an experiment that's going to last too much longer. Yeah. Well, the weekend kicked off on Friday evening with Newcastle's 2-0 win away at Crystal Palace. This one looked for all the world like it was heading for a 0-0 draw until Newcastle got those two late goals. Do you think they deserved the points in the end, though? I mean, I, to be honest, I thought it was it had a draw written all over it. I, I, I think a 0-0 draw would have been um, sort of a very uh, acceptable result there. But, um, yeah, it was... I mean, the first goal, especially, Callum Wilson's, was a great finish. And... Yeah, Newcastle have been struggling a lot recently with injuries and um, I know they've got a coronavirus outbreak now at the, at the training ground. So to sort of patchwork a squad together and then win away at Crystal Palace um, is not an easy thing to do. And so, yeah, full respect to them and uh, them and Steve Bruce. Yeah. Joe Linton got this second goal just 100 seconds after Callum Wilson made it 1-0. Do you think this could be a bit of a turning point for Joe Linton? It was a bit of a, a lucky goal, but maybe yeah, that's what he needs. Yeah, it was a big, big deflection, wasn't it? But sometimes, you know, like they say, just need one to come off your ass to, uh, you know, to get the run going. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's been sort of hamstrung massively by his fee, hasn't he? You know, they, they overpaid for him by a huge amount and that's meant that the expectations were just through the roof and crazy. Mm. Um, so hopefully um, with Callum Wilson, maybe that sort of takes a little bit of pressure off him t- um, in terms of like leading the line. And, and he's, and he did a lot of work off the ball. You sort of, because I'm a nerd, I looked at his heat map <laughs> for the game before this. And, um, you know, he did a lot of running um, sort of into the channels and things like that. Mm. So that's what they, they need him for. And then Callum Wilson can, can finish the chances, hopefully. So, yeah, it's, um, it seems to be a good partnership for them so far. Mm. Two defeats on the spin for Palace. Do you think this is, is Roy Hodgson <laughs> struggling a little bit there? Um, 
again, I think this is just a bit of a regression to the mean. They started really well, yeah. and you know, that's, yeah, like you say, it's two defeats. But I, I'm I'm not going to worry about Crystal Palace. I think as long as Wilfred Zaha's fit and uh, Milivojevic, I, I think they'll be fine. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a difficult one for them on Friday, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to worry too much about them to be honest. Mm. You mentioned the uh, the West Brom Sheffield United game. We'll finish <laughs> we'll finish with that one as it was probably the dullest game of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, West Brom got the first win of the season though, so perhaps not too dull for them. They beat Sheffield United one nil at the Hawthorns. I mean, Sheffield United have still got just one point and scored just four goals this season. Do you reckon they could actually beat Derby County's Premier League record? Finish with I fewer than <laughs> eleven points a season. I mean, I don't think they're quite that bad. They were an especially bad uh, Premier League side, but um, I just, I, I don't, it's a bit of a cliche, but perhaps it's a cliche because it's true. This is a bit of second season syndrome. Um, they've sort of been found out a little bit, but I mean, I don't think um, Chris Wilder is going to get the sack. I think even if, even if they went down and they did get sort of a record low amount of, uh, a record low amount of points. Chris Wilder is is their manager, and I would back him to yeah stay there and do well in the championship. But I think they're just they're really struggling with injuries, aren't they? Mm. Ender Stevens is is a really key player for them, and he he was missing at the weekend. Um, Ethan Ampadu's out. Um, John Egan's a massive yeah massive loss for them as well, and and obviously Dean Henderson as well as as the goalkeeper is back at Man United, so it's a much different uh, squad to what it was last season. Um, and you know, with everything else that's going on, um, that that would be hard enough to deal with anyway. Hard enough to deal with anyway if it wasn't uh, it wasn't for everything that's going yeah. on. So I think um, although one point obviously isn't good enough, mm-hmm. I know that it'll be. He'll be working on a few things to try and try and get them back up the table, and and I think that to be honest, I think there are three worst teams in the league than Sheffield United. So mm. by the by, come May, I would I would expect them to be out trouble. Hmm. Who are those three worst teams? Yeah, Fulham, West Brom, Burnley, Burnley. Mm. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, you, you. For those who don't know, you you were on Oxford United's books as a youngster, where Chris, yeah. Chris Wilder was your coach there. Yeah, he seems pretty relaxed in front of the cameras at the moment. Do you think he really is relaxed, or do you think he's going to be <laughs> bollocking them behind the scenes? Um, he'll be bollocking them behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> he was quite a hard man to please uh, at times. Um, so yeah, I would expect. Uh, yeah, maybe he's mellowed in those intervening years, but um, I don't think you get to the Premier League by mellowing in those intervening. No, years, I don't do think you, you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine there'll be some very uh, choice words in the in the changing rooms after games after the recent recent performances. Mm. Um, but no, he's a, he's you know after games he he could be uh, yeah it could be interesting. But on the training ground, it was always about technique and. Um, you know sort of doing the right things and training was always really really interesting and you know it was never never boring with him so yeah I'm sure he's working on a few different things to uh, try and get them their first win well, they've conceded fewer goals than Liverpool this season, so it's not all bad news. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that win was a huge boost for West Brom, though. Finally, uh, sort of broken the duck for this season. How many points do you think they might need to stay up this season? Forty is the traditional time, well, isn't it? But, but it never is, is it? I yeah. think the last few seasons, I think even having thirty-five points has meant you stayed up. So, um, yeah, I really like Slavin Bilic, and I hope they keep with him, but. Um, Although, yeah, no, this is a good win. I just don't want to yeah, rain on their parade. But, um, yeah, I think 
I think West Brom will struggle. This will be one of the few wins they get this season, I think. Yeah. Conor Gallagher got his first Premier League goal in this game. Are you a fan of his? And- yeah, he's a really, really good young player, actually. And um, Chelsea have got an, an, you know, one of the many uh, amazing academy products that they've got there. So, um, yeah, it looks like he's got a very good future. I, I read something today that he's sort of taking inspiration from Mason Mount and his, oh, yeah. uh, his time at Derby. So, yeah, I, I would expect him to be back at Chelsea sometime soon Mm. well that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast I've been Dan Burke and thank you to Alex Mott for joining me Ian McCourt will be back talking all things Champions League on Thursday and we'll be back to analyse such delights as the North London Derby Liverpool v Wolves and Leeds v Chelsea next Monday so we'll see you then <laughs> we all enjoyed that one. Yeah. <laughs> Enough. Enough. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Doug. Um... Yeah, I think I said that right. Um, hang on. Doug. Dogs, um, the dog's called Doug. The dog's called Doug, yeah. <laughs> um, God, sorry, mate, do that again.